lifted up. I'm a child of God. Having my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, sorry, oh you. Because, what's that? Uh huh. Oh, you. Oh, team was there, or Texas? No. <laughs> what team? Oh, you's team was at the airport with you going to Dallas. Well, we need we need to talk to you about the people you're hanging around. I Because <laughs> they're not a football team. I don't know who those people were that showed up down there. At least the state fair was there, right? And those that got to go, they could have fun at the state fair. Eating deep fried butter. <laughs> we are in our study, How to Prepare for the End of the World. And today I want to talk about how to live in the last days. In those Bibles or electronic devices, go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll pick up at verse 12, go to the end of the chapter. A pastor and his associate were going to California. Uh, the pastor was going to speak. He invited his associate to go with him, and they were going to have a, a good time together. Get a little R&R &R and just some encouragement to each other. And they almost didn't make it. In fact... They missed their flight altogether. Both of them got to the airport over an hour before the flight took off, but they and they didn't check a bag because I mean, after all, you're a rookie if you have to have a check a bag for a four-day trip. That's been my contention, and uh, there's no reason to carry luggage; just put it in a Walmart bag and take off. But the TSA was slow that day, and of course, the TSO the TSA stands for thousands standing around. <laughs> and after 50 minutes, the pastor and his associate. And especially the pastor got a little forceful. He told one of the ladies there that his flight was already boarding, and so she let him get through the line, and they started running toward the gate, which according to Murphy's Law is 17 miles away at the opposite end of the terminal. But as they're getting closer to the gate, the pastor decides, you know what, there's, there's a, a little restaurant up here that I can get my favorite food, and uh, I think we still have time, so I'm going to stop in there and get some food, get this, get, get this something to eat, because I don't want to eat that plain food. It's just, just, not, it's just not good. So they get in line and they're waiting and they're waiting only to find out that that dish that he wanted <laughs> was sold out. So they thought they had still had plenty of time and so they rush up to the gate and uh, the lady uh, at the gate, they were closing the door on the plane and the pastor tells the lady that they need to be on that plane and uh, he pleaded with her and she said, well, I guess I can ask if they'll open the door again. He said, please, the plane's still there. That giant vacuum thing is still attached. She said, come on, let, let, let us get on that plane. She comes back and says, sorry, they won't open the door, but we, I can't get you on the next flight at 1.45 p.m. in three hours. 
Man, we've got to be on that plane. If you get on the phone and talk to, let me talk to the pilot, I'll convince him to open that door. She said, well, we just don't do things that way. And he says, so why didn't you call us over the loudspeaker? She said, well, we only do that for international flights. <laughs> Wasn't very happy at all, but the associate turned to him and said, hey, good news is we can go back and wait in line and get that food <laughs> that you so desperately wanted. You ever been late for something? Ever missed an opportunity because you were too late and you missed, or you missed maybe a, a good sale because you let the coupon expire? Maybe you missed an important meeting or missed a special event your kids were performing in. It's the worst feeling, isn't it, when you actually miss that event? And there's no loudspeaker yelling your name. I mean, after all, it's only for international flights, that's right. <laughs> but in the spiritual life, there is a loudspeaker. You and me. We are the loudspeakers. We are to be sharing the message, sounding the alarm, banging the gong that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming back because we want everybody possible to get in before the door closes. Because once the door closes, it cannot be opened again. So Paul ends 1 Thessalonians with some encouragements about what we as believers should be doing as we live in the last days and wait for His return. I'm going to give you four of those. But number one, we'll pick it up at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So the first encouragement that Paul gives is respect those who lead you. Respect those who lead you. That's not, no, let me back up and say, this is that verse that every preacher wants to say, this is don't be a pain in the neck to the pastor verse. That's what this verse is. Don't be a pain in the neck or a pain somewhere else. Don't be a pain. I've learned after 36 years in ministry, 15 as a youth and associate pastor and 21 as a senior pastor, some people believe their spiritual gift is, and they love to do it, is to complain. They feel their ministry is stating the obvious. I read a story about a preacher who had a lady that used to come up to him and tell him that her spiritual gift was the gift of criticism. <laughs> And he would say, ma'am, that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you, it's super annoying. Do you know anybody with a gift of criticism? Doesn't matter what you do or what you say, they're going to find some way to criticize you for it. What's the old, you danged if you do and danged if you don't. Isn't that, the, isn't that the phrase? So you might as well be doing something, amen? But the point is this, if we're living in the last days, our job needs to be Helping row the boat, not rock the boat. We need to be rowing the boat, not like, because we're in the last days. And we ought to be loving each other and encouraging each other and be united with each other. We shouldn't be divided. We ought to learn to forgive and let it go. Why carry it? Why carry it? Cindy says, you're getting so forgetful now. I said, yeah, but the good news is I meet new friends every day, honey. It's just awesome. <laughs> a couple, you'll love this story. A couple had a, had a little girl that 
you know how sometimes kids really become spiritual giants in their very young, tender ages. Their daughter was five, and they, the story says that when she would pray, it would drive them to tears because of the depth of that relationship that they sensed in their daughter. But it wasn't always that way. When she was about two and a half, she was playing, and her mother said, it's time for dinner. And uh, the daughter wouldn't come. And so the mother had to forcibly grab the daughter and set her in the chair and say, you're going to eat. And so the daughter then fired back, well, I may be sitting, but I'm still playing on the inside. (laughs) That's the way we are with the leadership in the church. I read and, and talk to a lot of pastors and church leaders. And the one thing I know is that church leaders and pastors are doing the best they can. We are human, and we do the best we can. Do we say things that we shouldn't say? Yes. Do we make you upset because of the way we say it? Yes. Do we get you so upset that you're ready to blow a gasket and your neck vein jumps out about eight inches from you? Yes. Do you always get your way when you talk to the pastor or the leaders in the church? No. Does that get you upset? Yes. We're all doing the best we can. We are every one of us works in progress. We have not arrived yet. We have not attained it yet. Even the Apostle Paul later in his life said, I'm still striving for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I've not attained it yet, he said. And I I find pastors who get frustrated. Young pastors especially, they get frustrated. Uh, I talked to a pastor's wife recently who her husband was fired. No reason. Wasn't ethical, wasn't moral, wasn't scriptural. It's just that that church wanted somebody else and he was in the way. They got rid of him. That's how they, that's how they did it. That's terrible, isn't it? But guess what? That happens in the jobs that you go to every day. So why would we, we be of the opinion that's going to be different at church. Because the church is full of what? People. (laughs) Now Moses was a great leader, was he not? He had about a million people following him. And I'll bet you a dime to a dollar that every time they went through that that circle and went past by this one rock, they would all go, been by this rock. How do you know you've been by this rock? Because they put marks on it when they go by. (laughs) One of my favorites jokes is uh, Moses has a map out in front of him looking and uh, his wife is talking to somebody and says he doesn't know where he's going he has no idea where we're going and sometimes it looks like we don't know where we're going but the good news is God knows where we're going and but the reason some people uh, struggle is that they see the church as a dispenser of religious goods and services rather than being a movement of God. And when the church is a dispenser of goods and services, then you place your order, and if the staff is talented enough and gifted enough, then you're going to get what you want, and they'll produce how, how you like it, and whoo, everything's going to be good. Until they do something wrong and didn't fit the way you wanted to go, and then, whoo, I'm out of here. I was talking to a guy that preached at a church of 800. He says, man, I lose 100 people a month. He said, I can't keep them. I said, where are they going? He said, Life Church. Talked to the pastor at Life Church. He said, I'm losing 100 people a month. I said, where are they going? He said, Church on the Move. 
If I was talking to church on the movie, he'd say, I'm losing 100 months. Where are they going? He said, to hell. No, I'm not teasing. I, I don't know. The point is, is that people get upset because it's not going the way they want it to go. But church is not for you. It's for God. We're supposed to come and say, what do I have in gifts that I can give to the Lord and to His ministry and to His kingdom? That's what church should be about. But instead we place orders and we expect the program to fit our orders. The one thing I love about our church is that we're a church that loves people. We're not a perfect church. That's the other reason I love it. We're full of imperfect people just trying to do life together. We say things we shouldn't say. We look at stuff we probably shouldn't look at. We had a movie up here last night, and we'll, we'll do a better job of advertising, but it was a great movie. The theme of the movie, the, the message of the movie was fabulous, but we had to keep muting the dialogue in the movie because <laughs> it was they were using certain language that really wouldn't be appropriate to be in church. Amen? But I didn't miss the message. But it went for a long stretch, I thought, <laughs> with no dialogue, just lips moving. I thought I was watching a Japanese movie. But I didn't want to get tripped up and sidetracked and miss the message. And I got the message. And that's what we need, folks. We need to come to church ready to get the message that God has to bring to each of us. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. In pastoring a church, can be the greatest joy or the greatest heartache. And that depends on the people. It depends on the people that you serve. And so I love you. And you love me, and I know it. I know it. Because if I'm eating stuff I'm not supposed to eat, you come and tell me. You'll come and just look at me. Some of you slap my hands. Lindsay is so good. On Wednesday night, she'll fix stuff that's low fat, and she'll fix it. And she'll make it for others to in, enjoy, but I know, I know, I know she's doing it for me. And I'm so grateful. Those, she had turkey sausage last Wednesday. I've never had turkey sausage. And I wanted to go back for more. But some of you guys decided you wanted it too, and it was gone. <laughs> I was glad to share. But one of the greatest things that we know of as pastors in our churches, is when our churches are at peace. Then you know good things are going on. Okay? Now there's going to be times when we don't agree. And when those things happen, you need, to be, you need to do exactly what Mick and I did, and that's to sit down, cross the table, have lunch together, and love each other. Now I love him today more than I ever have. I love the, his humor. Gosh, he's got a great sense of humor. I love all of that about him. I'm grateful that he is my friend. I always say, what do you know, Mickey? He says, absolutely nothing. I said, man, you're in good company. Because I've been around churches where division and hostility rule the day. It's not a pleasant place to be. We live in, in, we live in a time when the end time is near and we need to be united because... What we do in reaching people and discipling people 
is critically important. People need to visit a church and see the love of God here and not see division. They need to visit here and see people loving each other. Amen? All right. Let's pick up our text again, verse 14. And we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are irresponsible, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Number one, encouragement, respect those who lead you. Number two, Paul would say, respond to those around you. The main reason people have conflict is because they don't think about the words they use when they speak to other people. They just don't. Your spouse comes home and they've got a mad look on their face. You can say it one of two ways. Well, what's your problem? Boy, that's going to elicit a great response, isn't it? Or you can say, hi, honey. What's troubling you today? I'm going to get a better response, right? I'm concerned. Well, then show your concern. Don't be a Neanderthal and just treat them like you've got a club and you're going to beat them and drag them off with their hair. That's how we do at church, too. We need to learn to speak with grace, mercy, and kindness. Think thou before thine speaketh. <clears throat> There's my King James for the day. Speaketh, sisters that had their hands up. <laughs> Before you speak, think. Slow to speak. Think what you're going to say. Don't just blurt it out. Especially when you're talking to children. Sarcasm doesn't do what we hope it will do, and that is to kind of be funny. If you think a child is good looking, tell them. Tell them. Hug them. Hug them. <clears throat> Say, man, you never look better. How? You never look better. Because it makes a difference. My granddaughter was sitting on my lap the other, the other night, actually last night, reading to me. She's five. Reading to me. I thought, this is not right. Because I don't think little brother's going to be doing that when he's five. Now, he might be eating a football or something. But I'm telling you, you speak good things into their life and good things come back out of their life. Speak the truth, but speak it in love and speak encouragement. I call our teenagers nodheads. But I have a relationship with them and they know that I'm not being derogatory. Because I hug every one of them. All the time. Even on Friday night on the football field, there's four of them out there. And I hug T, Big T, before the game because during the game, you sweat so much, I don't want to hug you. <laughs> so I hug in the sponge. I mean... He comes off and you grab him and he squishes. It's not good. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. 
And in these verses, Paul gives five examples of how we're supposed to speak to people. First of all, he says, warn those who are unruly. And in the Greek, unruly implies a soldier who doesn't march in line with the rest of the troop. <laughs> that can be a problem. You ever seen a warning sign? Got one up here for you. It's a warning against electric shock. And when you see that, you're not supposed to touch anything that has that sign close to it, right? Because if you do, that's what the next picture shows. This is what can happen. <laughs> the sign is not there for you for it to say, excuse me, I, I'm sorry if this is too much trouble, but I'd appreciate it if you didn't touch this power line because, you know, it, it could cost your life. No. That sign is put up there to say, hey, don't touch the line. So there's times when we have to be very forceful in what we say. But then most of the time, we don't. We need to be loving, gracious, and kind. Amen? How to go a long ways. Number two, comfort the faint-hearted. Could be translated comfort the discouraged. When someone's bummed out, you, get, you, you don't get in their face like a drill sergeant. Instead, you, you bring a word of comfort to them. What are you going to say, what is anybody going to say to Adrian Peterson today that's going to help him get past his two-year-old son being beat up by a man and that son dies? I don't care on what planet you were raised on or what turnip leaf you were found under or how you just appeared somehow from an alien ship somewhere, but I'm telling you, a two-year-old child who gets beat up so bad they die from it, the guy that did that is wrong. And he needs to forcibly understand the consequences of what he's done. But how are you going to tell Adrian Peterson speak kindness? But yet, as I've listened to his interviews, they have been powerful. Powerful. Number three, uphold the weak. There are those who are weak in their faith, and we that are more mature, we ought to be helping them take those steps of faith. According to the Bible, there's nothing sinful about having a drink. But the Bible says plenty about the sin of drunkenness. Drinking was common in, in the culture. In fact, Paul tells Timothy to have a little wine for his stomach issues that he was facing. But in America, one out of three people is either an alcoholic or has a family member or a friend who's one. So that freedom can make some stumble. It's amazing just about every time Cindy and I go out to dinner somewhere, we'll find somebody from the church that we know or somebody who knows me. And it's awkward at times. It'd be really awkward if they walk up and I've got a glass of beer or a can of beer sitting there and, and they're going to look at me. Am I, am I okay to drink that beer? Probably. Should I? No. Why? Because I don't know if that example is going to affect the life of that person who's walked up to my table. So I just choose not to. I understand it has a lot of calories and the taste is... I mean, I could say to the guy, hey, stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> but... Having one beer is, is not wrong. A glass of wine is not wrong. But we've always got to consider the other person. 
Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing Paul says is be patient with all. I like the King James here. It calls, it calls patience as long-suffering. If you've ever stood in line at a motor vehicle to get your <laughs> a place to get your department of motor vehicles to get your license, you understand what long-suffering means. James 2 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You could be dead on right with your wrath and still be wrong. Still be wrong. I don't like what's going on in Washington, D.C. You've got a bunch of overpaid, spoiled, rotten brats. That's all they are who think only of themselves and nobody else. You take an older couple that lives on government ground in Lake Mead out in Arizona, and I mean in uh, uh, Nevada, and you kick them out of their house because they're on government land. Well, I say 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has some residents that need to be kicked out too because they're on, they're on government land. I have a hard time with some of this stuff. But I am called to pray for them. So I have been. And it's funny, when I pray for him, my heart gets a little different. The fifth thing that Paul encourages us about how we speak, he says, see that no one renders evil for evil. You ever eaten cotton candy? I mean, you get, you get the cotton candy as big as your head. And you can put a whole wad of that stuff in there and it, what, disappears instantly. And your blood sugar jumps up nine, nine, 90 points. But it's amazing, it just disappears. That's what revenge does. That's what Paul says. He says that we're not to seek revenge. Instead, he says we're not to render evil for evil because it doesn't work. In Romans 12, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guy was driving down Main Street here in Jinx. Name of the guy will be unmentioned. He's driving down and he cuts off a guy. In traffic, and the guy speeds up to him, gets beside him, motions to roll his window down, he starts yelling at him. And the guy that cut him off, he says, Hey, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Well, the guy didn't hear that at first, so he keeps yelling at him, calling him all kinds of things, hurling abuse at him. And the guy that cut him off, he says, You know, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I did that. And finally, the guy that was so upset realizes that he's not going to be retaliated against so he says well all right drive safe my friend <laughs> he takes off see if you don't fight back how do you have a fight how do you have a fight watch kids do this all the time they'll be each other and then you go and get on to one of them the other one takes up for the other ones they were fighting with it's amazing isn't it that's the way kids work that's all they know that's all they know it's how you overcome evil with good. Let's go back to our text. 16, verse, pick up verse 16. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Respect those who lead you. Respond to those around you. And number three, Paul would encourage us to react wisely to circumstances. <laughs> A preacher was having a birthday and his birthday uh, fell in the fall and he was having a birthday and he lived in Boston so the Patriots were his favorite football team and so 
for his birthday present, they were going to have the party at home that afternoon so he could watch the Patriots game. That was his what he wanted for his uh, birthday. So they're at home. Family's around. They're having a birthday. And pretty soon his wife says, starts talking about some of the things around the house that need to be fixed. And so her brother, the brother-in-law, he jumps up and he says, well, hey, I'm here. I can fix some of this stuff. What, what do you got going on? Well, the toilet upstairs in the kids' bathroom is kind of shifting around, and I don't like the fact that the previous owners had laid wood in that bathroom. So he said, well, let me take a look at it. So pretty soon, he goes up, and pretty soon, birthday boy's sitting there watching his football game, enjoying his uh, birthday, and he starts hearing crashing upstairs. So the wife says, maybe you should go up and check this out. He said, I'm watching my football game. She said, go check it out. So he goes up to check it out. Sure enough, the brother-in-law is tearing up the wood floor that his sister didn't like. And so he's pulled the, the toilet off, tearing up the flooring, and then he says, hey, I need you to take that wax thing off of the floor. And so being a preacher, most preachers don't really take wax things off of the floor very often. So he reaches down to grab the wax thing off of the floor. And some of you that know what I'm, where I'm going, he has wax stuff all over his hands. And he can't get it loose. In fact, he said, my goodness, I've never had poop this strong on my hands before. Because it wasn't just new poop, it was 10-year-old poop that was <laughs> accumulating on the, on the, uh... thank you, <laughs> wasn't sure how to say it, on the pooper keeper. But anyway, <laughs> but End of the story is, I mean, they end up, he ends up spending the rest of the afternoon going to Home Depot getting stuff and yada yada. Misses his game and he tells his wife she's apologizing. And later he says, Hey, listen, my 39th year started out with me uh, putting 10 year old poop and sewage all over my hands. He said, It's only got to get better from here. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's best to have a good positive attitude, isn't it? Was he happy about cleaning the sewage out on his birthday? No. But he made the best of it because he wasn't rejoicing for the circumstance. He was still able to rejoice in the circumstance. You see, something may come to you that's not pleasant. You don't have to rejoice about that coming. Just rejoice in it. In it. Find God in it. Praise God in it. And good things can come. Philippians 4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How did, how did he do that? Well, Paul says, pray without ceasing. In our text, he said, pray without ceasing. The phrase is actually a word picture in the Greek language. It says, it's described as a nagging cough. You ever had one of those? No matter what you do, what you drink, what you hold, you know, what lozenge you take, you just have this old cough. And sometimes it's a croupy kind of cough, and it's real deep, and it's, and it's oh, it makes, you, it makes you ill listening to people, right? You say, can you at least go down the block somewhere to do that? But that's the picture that's here when he says pray without ceasing. It's that nagging cough that won't go away. Best described in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is a, was a man of prayer and he didn't fall to his knees. He didn't go with showy prayer. He simply said, the king said to him, Who do you request? what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. See, he didn't spend a lot of time in prayer making it look like he was in prayer. He just simply 
prayed at that moment and instantly then had a response right after he began to pray. Because God will do that in you if you've got a connection to him. It doesn't have to be a formal thing. It has to be a life thing. You're connected. He's connected. Say that prayer up quick. Make it happen. And God's going to make it happen in you. Pick it up verse 19 in, in our text. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test all things. Hold on to, to what is good. Respect those who lead. Respond to those around you. React wisely to circumstances. And then lastly, remember God's work in you. Remember God's work in you. Paul is saying don't despise prophecies. What is prophecy exactly? Well, let me try to answer that. Are there still prophets today? Let me ask that question. Well, I'm going to say yes and no. And if I can say yes and no, then I ought to go into politics because that's exactly the way they do it. But here's what I mean. The office of a prophet in the biblical sense is someone who spoke to the people on behalf of God and many times foretold the future. But the catch is this. To be a prophet, you had to be 100% correct every time. Every time. Because if you weren't, you really didn't like what was going to happen to you. According to Deuteronomy 18, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of our gods, that prophet, what's it say? Shall die. So before you start shooting your mouth off that you're a prophet, you better make sure it's 100% correct every time, not 90% of the time, not 98% of the time, not 52% of the time, 100% of the time. The Old Testament prophets were speaking the words that would become the Old Testament. But the Bible is written and there, there's no need for the prophets in that sense. Hebrews 1 says, in the, past day, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. God used the prophets to write His Word, but the final word God gave was His Son. Who's the last person to speak in the Bible? Jesus in Revelation chapter 22. The prophets in the Old Testament since were foretelling the works of God. Prophets in the New Testament sense are foretelling the works of God. They speak the Word of God to people in a way that will minister to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And that means a prophet who speaks, their words will do three things. First of all, they will edify. In other words, it will build us up. We will grow in our faith because of it. Secondly, exhortation. It will stir us up. We'll be challenged to put feet to our faith. Thirdly, it will comfort. It will lift us up. It will remind us about God's attributes. So when we speak that word, it edifies, it exhorts, it comforts. And the problem is, every time I see a prophet on TV, they're trying to tell us about all these natural disasters and, 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 and what's wrong with America. And it's all happening because of America's disobedience. <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, said, how does America fit in, in prophecy? I said, they're in trouble if they don't know Jesus. That's how it fits in prophecy. And we have kicked him out, haven't we? 
He's not welcome at school, though your school in Jinx still lets him show up. We still have coaches that let him show up. It's kind of fun. I had a player come to me the other night before the game. He sat down on the bench next to me. He said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. He's just coming off of an injury, and he wanted to make sure that he didn't get re-injured. I said, let's pray. Right before the game starts, all the defense comes over and sets down, gets on a knee, and I get to pray with them. And then they pray the Lord's Prayer together. I'm telling you, it's amazing what goes on. But that's because we have a coaching staff and we have a school that still allows those things. There may be a day when we can't do it, but we're going to keep doing it until we can't. Amen? I told Coach Trimble it would be like the scrubbing bubbles. We'll go down together. <laughs> when I was considering moving to Jinx 19 years ago, I had been through a real difficult time in my ministerial life. We were in a farming community in South Central Illinois, and I wasn't sure if I even should be there. But God opened the door for us to move here. My wife was extremely happy. This would be close to her family. And that was important to me. Our boys were young, and I thought that'd be awesome. But I still had I, I still had some fear in my heart about it. A friend sent me a word. He sent me scripture. He didn't say anything about the scripture. He just sent it. And here's what he said. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. <laughs> so here I am 19 years later. Serving you and serving with you. And I couldn't think of another place to be. Don't want to be another place. I'm getting too old to be in some other place. You watched me lose my hair and starting to come back now. Can you see how? Let's just, you have to get up close, but it's there. There's more of it. I had Cindy run her fingers through it. it took her about 10 seconds. But you see, <laughs> you see, if we're going to share the Word of God, what we share should build up, stir up, and lift up people. Paul says it's the same thing that he did that we do as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Every week I give an invitation for people to come to know Christ. If they resist and don't come forward, well, that's too bad. They might sit back and tell each other, you know, maybe he was talking to somebody else, not us. And then after the service, they might track me down and say, you know, God's been touching our heart and we, we, we've been resisting. Could you help us? We want to we receive Christ. Well, of course, I would say to them, are you kidding? Church is over. No. I had an invitation. I'm not going to spend time with you now. You know, you know me better than that. I'd take whatever time it needed to sit down and visit with them and teach them so that they knew what, their, what that commitment was and what that decision was and show them the importance of baptism and how that all connects in with all of this. But I'm so afraid that so many people, week in and week out, they hear the message, they hear the... They hear the call and they just don't respond. 
I hope today's not that day. I hope today you are letting Jesus be real in you and you're going to let Jesus be the master and Lord of your life because that'll be the most important decision you'll ever make. The second decision I made was marrying Cindy. But the first one was 43 years ago. <laughs> I added it up. It scared me to death. 43 years ago, I said yes to Jesus. Seems like yesterday. I can even tell you who was there because it was a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock and I wouldn't go on Sunday. I told the preacher, I said, I, I don't get in front of people and do anything. <laughs> well, don't tell God that. He may call you into ministry. Father, I thank you for the morning. Kind of rambled on today. But God, my heart is so heavy with the sin of your people. And my own sin. There are times when we're not honest with ourselves. And we're certainly not honest with you. Oh, we'll make bold claims and we'll tell you if you'll do this, we'll do that. And we lie, lie, lie. And why you keep loving us and why you keep holding on to us is beyond comprehension. But I'm so grateful that you do. I'm so grateful that you don't give up on us. I'm so grateful that there are so many within this church who are digging deeper in their walk with you. They want you. They need you. And Father, they can't serve you enough because they are so grateful. They have such an attitude of gratitude for what you've done for them. They can't do enough for you because they love you. That's so obvious. There's another group of people that are content to sit on the sideline and watch others instead of surrendering and submitting. But God, if there's one person in this room today who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, May they not leave today till they get that right with you. You know who they are. We're praying for them. That they'll have courage to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn of invitation, if God is moving on you to do something, would you do it as we stand?